0: This is Founders Radio, episode number 10, and today as a guest speaker we have Ian Chen, right? Yep, good. Ian Chen, uh, who is the co-founder of DiscoTech and the CEO. Uh, and uh, DiscoTech is an LA-based company that raised $1.6 million up to date, and they're planning to raise uh, another $1.5 million to fund their expansion. So Ian, why don't you kick off uh, with telling us a little bit about yourself and about Disco Tech?
1: Sure, thanks. Again, my name is Ian Chen, uh, originally born and raised out of Potomac, Maryland. I moved to California to attend the University of California, Berkeley, where I studied uh, industrial engineering and business. I started my professional career at Bain & Company, which is a consulting firm outside of, uh, in San Francisco. Uh, I did that for about a couple years, and then I moved to Los Angeles, where I worked at a private equity firm called the Gore's Group, um, <clears throat> mid-sized, managed about the, the company managed somewhere between four and five billion dollars. And <clears throat> during that time in LA, I uh, was working really long hours. I had pretty good disposable income because of the the private equity job, and I was going clubbing a lot. Uh, that was just one way I would go and blow off steam, and so. Through that, I met a lot of nightclub promoters and it dawned upon me that it was just very inefficient and non-transparent for me, who is the customer, who's trying to spend money to attend these events. And I was thinking that as a consumer, there should never be this much friction when it comes to spending money. So, you know, I, I looked around and there were a lot of other companies that were disrupting uh, human middlemen in a lot of other industries, obviously, open table disrupting restaurant concierges, companies like Kayak, Expedia, Priceline, you know, booking, disrupting travel agents. <clears throat> and so I thought, you know, why isn't there a technology that makes this easier for customers? Why isn't there something disrupting these human promoters that everyone has to go through to you know go to these clubs? And so I partnered with that, uh, you know. some some of my friends from Berkeley, and we quit our jobs and we kind of jumped all in into uh, discotheque. And this was was a while ago. We've been at this for a while. This was back in uh, 2013. Since then, uh, you know, we've developed an iPhone app, an Android app, a website. And I think we work with over a thousand venues now across, call it, you know, 45 plus cities. And our platform, we make it easy for our customers to discover events, reserve VIP t- tables, buy tickets, and also sign up for free guest list admission at clubs, pool parties, music festivals, uh, concert venues, lounges, upscale bars in uh, different cities.
0: Got it, got it, that's pretty interesting. Uh, pretty competitive field. Uh, so you said you've been working this on this uh company for about six years now, right? Um, yeah, six plus. And when did you decide that it's time to raise? So we, we
1: have definitely been a very capital efficient company. Um, again, I believe that our raise amount, given how long we've been doing this, is very de minimis. Um, in the beginning, the founders put in a little bit of money to run the expenses and we, we definitely bootstrapped it very hard. Um, that with, with that being said, um, we raised money within our first year. Uh, we went and got a round of about 450000 from friends and family. And that was really just selling the idea and selling the dream. You know, I, I put together a deck. I had a lot of experience making PowerPoint decks, given that I was a consultant and I worked in private equity. But we were we were selling the vision, right? And I think uh, it was not too hard to, for us to get this us. Uh, this angel, I guess, this friends and family round, a because I, I had a network of people in finance who also partied a lot and had money, and so they all uh, believed in the vision. They saw the problem. They understood it, and also uh, they knew me personally and trusted me. And so, getting that initial round of funding relatively wasn't that challenging. I mean, it still wasn't easy going around and you know talking to people and getting rejections, of course. Um, but me and the founders, we actually went like over two years without salary. Right. Even though we raised that funding, uh, the 450,000, like kind of one, of one of the, like, we, we just used that to run the business and like pay for our employees. So that was part of us being really lean and dragging, and making the money last is we were just working on equity for you know the first two, call it two, two and a half years. It wasn't until, uh, 2016. So like three years later that we actually went and raised a seed round of about 1.2 million.
0: Um, That's pretty cool. And when did you decide to raise? So uh, do you have any traction? Or uh, So many founders ask the same question. Uh, when should I start raising? Oh, can you say something about that?
1: Yeah, so the, for the first raise, we did not have any traction. Or very little traction. I think we might have had like a demo app. Like it wasn't even a real app. It was like a wireframe that like demoed, like this is what it would look like, right? And I think we had the verbal confirmation from some venues, like club venues, that they would work with us once we went live. Um, again, Discotech, we're a marketplace, right? So we have to first get the supply of inventory. We have to get the venues on board. And then we have to go get the demand side, which are the end customers. So we did have some... LA clubs saying that they would work with us, um, but also very importantly, like I had a team, I had a good strong team. Like there initially, it was four people. You know, we're all UC Berkeley grads. We all had good work experience, and so the fact that you know, I had like a marketing, my one of my partners had a marketing background. Two of my partners had you know the software development tech background. Uh, we could really sell the team and the idea to get that four hundred fifty thousand. And then, you know, we went and got traction, we got the venues onboarded, we started getting customers, we started getting revenue. And then that was when
0: we decided to go get the seed. Got it, got it. um, How much did you say you raised in the seed round? 1.2 million. That's pretty, pretty great. Um, So um, one of the topics that we have online and that you specifically wanted to talk about is actually keeping your current investors updated. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit more like, why is it so important?
1: Yeah. So again, given just my professional background, like working in private equity, right? So, you know, financial statements, uh, you know, quarterly updates, uh, just like tracking progress and communicating that with, you know, your investors or other people, you know, reporting that to me when, you know, when I was the investor, um, that was just something I was very used to. Right. Um, you know, in private equity you're buying and you're investing in private companies and to know how your companies are doing, they have to send you quarterly reports. And so I got into that habit pretty early on of, you know, once we actually had data to share of showing our investors, okay, like this is how our revenue is trending. Here are our costs. You know, here are our other key performance metrics, like number of new downloads, total number of active users, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it was important because you know when we went and did our seed yes we went out and we got new investors uh bigger investors but some of our um funding came from our existing investors and now that i'm currently raising my third round you know most of my money is actually coming from existing investors including the institutional investors that came in on my second round um, and i think what really helped make this happen is that every quarter you know i send out a very detailed report with you know a slides you know, just to help people visualize, you know, our performance and our traction over time. I send them an Excel spreadsheet with, again, our KPIs that we measure that we internally, you know, feel are the most important things to look at. And then bullet points on, you know, what what we've done, big milestones, what we're working on, what's next, how our investors can be helpful. And I think keeping them in the loop is important because, you know, they're part of our family, right? We wouldn't be here without their support. And I think it gives them that, you know, that emotional connection. To us, rather than us, you know, not talking to them for like years and then asking them for money, right? They've been along for the journey. They're not just invested financially; they're invested from a you know personal, emotional standpoint. And I think that you know, when 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 time comes and you know we are doing another round, they know what's going on. I don't need to like fill them in. There's no like disconnect between us because we've been in touch like at least once every three months, so to speak. Um, and when I say in touch, I mean like, I'm just sending them like a mass email, right? I, B- I BCC everyone, I send out a mass email. If they wanna ask me questions or reach out to me, they definitely can and I'm always responsive. But, you know, it's not a huge amount of work. It's, it's you know, again, it's, it's, it is extra work. It's, you know, something that, you know, I do every quarter, but I, it's also something I use to send to my my employees and my advisors as well, just to make sure that communication is there and everyone's on the same page. So it's definitely uh, you know something you know a good practice I recommend to all founders.
0: <clears throat> yeah, that's a decent recommendation. Actually, many founders just ignore that they're like existing people, whatever. We'll find new ones. So um, you're you planning to raise another 1.5 million. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you tell a little bit about how you're preparing to do this? Uh, what's the process? What are your first steps, etc.
1: Yeah, we're we've been doing this for let me think, maybe like three months now. I would say that this round has definitely been easier than the second round. That was by far the hardest one. Um, but we're a little more than halfway through. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're more than half subscribed at this point. And the process was was pretty straightforward. Um, you know, again, we I'm s I am I started with existing investors. I went the first people I went back to were our our um, our four institutional seed investors from last round I mean they, they didn't write huge checks but you know, they wrote like you know hundred thousand maybe two hundred thousand dollar checks and what with that went to them you know discussed valuation you know updated them with our you know our deck got feedback from them and basically all all four of our existing investors are uh, you know are committed into this round I went back to you know A lot of our other existing investors, uh, the angels, um, a bunch of them are coming back in. And I'm also now, uh, you know, exploring, you know, through my network, you know, going to my investors and saying, hey, can you recommend other people for me to talk to? Uh, Exploring new potential investors. And, you know, the goal is to try to close, um, you know, by year end. Uh, The good news about DiscoTech is that uh, you know our our monthly net burn rate is extremely low because our revenues have grown over time and you know we haven't scaled our costs that aggressively. So we really could even we can run this we could easily run this company through end of 2020 uh, without running out of money from our last round. we still have about 450,000 left. but you know we want to raise this round so that we can expedite growth. It's all about growing the top line at this point as opposed to proving out the uh the business model that i i think we've already done that so i just want to get these resources as quickly as possible so that we can go and hire the people we want to hire expand the team and uh you know execute on the things that we think are mission critical
0: Mm -hmm. Got got it um so uh by the way people if someone wants to ask a question you can go ahead and do this now No question so far. Uh, If you want to ask something, you can just type it in. Um, So uh, actually, I've seen a lot of, not a lot of uh, similar companies in the field, but some, let's say so. Mm -hmm. How do you think you were able to beat all the competition in the field? I think there's a few things. I think one
1: is product and feature set. So, you know, DiscoTech, I on my phone, I I have maybe somewhere between 15 and 20 competitor apps. I don't believe any of them are still active or productive today. In many ways, as far as I'm concerned, in the United States, we're, we're the only player today. And that is because when we started, we all had the same vision. It was disrupting VIP table reservations because high value, large dollar amounts uh, of revenue, and um, you know, everyone had this problem, right? So, so I think we all had the same common idea what DiscoTech did well is we were pretty early on to pivot and um, add on uh, guest list and tickets, which really broadened our offering to the masses. So I think that really helped us get more users, grow, uh, get more revenue as well. The second thing we did really well is um, is, is business development, is sales. Uh, I think this is credit, you know, partially to the team. Maybe it's You know, there's some luck involved, like, you know, us being located in LA, but we hustled, um, we worked, we just worked very hard, very quickly to sign on venues in different cities. And I believe that we did this better than other players because in the same amount of time, you know, Discotech would have much more, much more clubbing inventory on our platform. We also moved from LA to Vegas. We lived in Vegas for nine months. And in that time we onboarded all the biggest clubs and pool parties in that city and Vegas is the biggest nightlife market in the country. So that was like a really big move, but you know not everyone is willing to uproot the entire team and move to you know Las Vegas. So that was big that was a big move for us. And then lastly, I think we were just very operationally efficient. Again, like we didn't burn money. We've had competitors raise more money than us. Um, one of our competitors' table list uh, raised, I think over eight million dollars, but they were just very inefficient with user acquisition and how they spent it, and they kind of like uh, ran the company into the ground. So Discotech, just very lean, very focused on bottom line and burn rate, And, uh, you know, just, I think we out, we uh, out executed our competitors.
0: That sounds really cool. I'll keep in your competitors that way is really interesting. Uh, so, uh, Kirill is asking uh, a question after clicking buy tickets on your website, I see some text description plus link for purchasing tickets uh without referral Uh, so how are you making money
1: yeah so the 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 referral link or the promo code is embedded into the you know is embedded into the url so we do get tracking on that so we make revenue on uh all on transactions of the three types of admission we offer so vip tables when someone buys a uh, books a table we make a percentage commission when someone buys a ticket we do actually track that and then we make a percentage commission and then guest list: If someone signs up on our guest list and checks in at the venue, the venue will pay us a per head bounty. So you know, anywhere between like two and five dollars a head for uh, driving them traffic.
0: <clears throat> Got it. Uh, another question from Cyril? Uh, what do the integrations with the clubs look like, and how do you keep the connection going? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so honestly, it varies on a club by club basis. Um, and this was a lot of like the technological legwork, you know. Some of them have different backend systems. Uh, we've integrated with the vast majority of them. Some of them just operate on email, or like they they use Excel spreadsheets and pen and paper. So it's as easy as sending them an automated email at like you know x. You know, if it's a guest list, we'll send them guest list names uh, by a certain time every night, uh, and that's automated. Uh, if it's a table, we'll send them a you know an email and ask them to click a couple buttons to confirm it. Uh, So it really varies on the venue by venue basis. And then keeping the clubs is easy. Um, Maybe less than 1% of clubs that have signed up for DiscoTech have voluntarily left the platform because it's such a good model for them. Like we only get paid when we drive them sales. Um, Clubs leave the platform when they die though because clubs have a life cycle, right? They're hot, they're not, they're dead, they remodel. So, um, that's kind of when we see churn, but when the club reopens, they, they typically come to us, uh, for marketing purposes.
0: <clears throat> that's pretty interesting. And, uh, you said one thing that I really liked is that you have focused really much on sales and, uh, you even moved to Las Vegas to get some, um, clubs on board. So were you literally walking into the clubs and talking to the owners or how did this work? How did the first sales work?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no secret sauce. We were uh, cold calling people, hitting people up on LinkedIn, asking our existing partners for intros, you know, knocking on doors, setting up in-person meet. I mean, the key is, especially in Vegas where these are mega clubs, these are like really big clubs. They don't want to be working with some no-name app. It was all about just building that human relationship being in vegas meeting people taking people out for food you know like like you know literally like i think if i wasn't like buying people food like it it wouldn't have happened
0: (laughs) yeah got it um there is another question oh never mind never mind he just said interesting (laughs) sorry so uh, what do you think was like the most challenging part in uh growing is it fundraising is it gaining uh, first sales, um, so what aspect of startup life is the hardest?
1: I, I don't know, it it all, it's it's all hard. <laughs> <The hardest laughs> it, is, it's all, it is all hard. I mean, our biggest challenge now is is just uh, growing the demand side. Like how do we get from, you know, right now we have about 400,000, you know, registered users on our app. Like how do we get that to like 4 million, right? like. Like, you know, who do we partner with, making right decisions, recruiting the right people, um, you know, just maintaining, you know, maintaining that, that drive over many, many years. You know, there's, there are a lot of challenges. They're all hard. They're all hard in different ways. You know, fundraising, I know, which is kind of one of the topics, the main topics we're talking about today, it definitely sucks. And that's mostly me. Like, I really, I really shield my, my co-founders and my team from that. I think part of it is um, like a personality fit. Like I'm very extroverted. I'm very optimistic just by nature. The other two are like introverts and like one is like quite pessimistic. Like, you know, if he had to deal with the amount of rejection that I've dealt with and you know, I've been literally rejected like at least over 400 times. (laughs) We have a lot of investors on our cap table. So we've gotten a lot of yeses too. But you know, with every yes you get, you get somewhere between like, I would say, at least for discotech, somewhere between like eight to ten no's. Uh, but you just get used to it. You get you get tough, you build like, you build this armor, right? And you just have to keep believing, right? Cause if you let them get to you, you're done, right? Because if you start questioning yourself, these other investors, they can sense it, they can read it off your your body language, the way you speak. You know, humans are perceptive, right? And so, if it gets to you, you're just going to become much less effective and efficient at selling your own company. So, you just have to keep on believing despite the naysayers.
0: <laughs> that's pretty inspirational, actually. Very, very inspirational. <laughs> no, you just uh, you have to. There's no other way. Yeah, that's true. That's, uh, I hear that all the time. Um, Oh, uh, so Kirill is asking another question, what is the biggest turn off for the investors that said no? Um, so, yes.
1: Yeah, I think for this, you know, at our second raise and this raise companies look at de- your data, right? You are still selling a vision, but they can kind of look at your data to see like, okay, how realistic is this vision? Or, you know, how, uh, you know, how's this company doing? Right. And I think the the feedback that we get a lot from a lot of investors is like, one, like they're uncertain or they're not very happy with our TAM, which is our total addressable market size. You know, me personally, like, I know that the space that we cover again, clubs, bars, pool parties, concert venues, music festivals is a big industry. Um, A lot of the, you know, people in institutional finance, They've never a lot of them have never gone clubbing before. They're old, they're older. Um, you know they've never spent you know five hundred dollars on a bottle, which is you know very fiscally irresponsible., uh, they don't go to music festivals. so and so you know they don't really understand the problem or this market that we're addressing. So that's one issue. Um, another issue is some companies and not angels, but you know some institutional investors won't invest in us because we're considered a vice industry. And because of their their own investors their lps you know they they can't touch us that's a minority of the case but i'd say that the big one is just angels can buy into us right because you know they they are maybe they might have like a different investment criteria they they see that discotech is a more stable startup i i truly believe that we are much less risky than most other startups again because we've been around for a long time we've already demonstrated a lot of things right? So we've taken out a lot of the operational risk. We also are like not burning money. Like we can control our own burn rate and our own destiny. So that's huge, right? Like, and again, it took us six years to get here, right? So it's not like there's no magic to it. We just, we've just we've, we we've been through a lot of shit to get here. So I think we've de-risked the company a lot, right? And an angel can see that and they can, you know, they can value that, Um But a lot of the VCs, right, the institutional funds, like they're looking for unicorns. They want like 100 times, like 300 times, you know, their investment. And Discotech, like, if things go like pretty well, like we will probably get them somewhere between like five and 12x, right, which is a great return, you know, (laughs) obviously. Like, who wouldn't want to make five to, you know, 10 times their money, give or take, right? Um, But, you know, again, like there's still obviously risk and they're looking to do like the 100 the hundred times investment kind of thing. Um, and our, our growth trajectory, we're not growing like, you know, 50% month over month or like 200% year over year. Uh, we are growing. It's a solid clip by any means, but I think a lot of those, you know, metrics that, um, these institutional investors are looking for, like, to be candid, like we may not check those boxes. So ultimately it comes down to like the, our rate of growth. And that's why we want to get that that up because you know, the faster we grow, the faster we can, the better we can raise funding, the the faster we can sell the business and go on and do other things.
0: Got it. Yeah, that's true. Investors are not quite looking for the the steady sort of business I think now. Um, So uh, before we wrap it up, uh, can you give like one advice to all the founders who are just beginning their companies or just in the process of beginning fundraising?
1: Um. You know, I, I always, this is one thing kinda I wish that I could go back in time and like tell young Ian or younger Ian, I guess, is unit economics. Like discotech is gonna work because there's a need for it. And like the industry that we're in is long overdue for disruption. I now know because of like the last six plus years I've lived and I, and I know my team, like I know that me and my team can execute, like we can do a startup. Like we've proven to ourselves that we're not frauds, you know, like which I know all entrepreneurs like deal with, like, am I, am I for real? Like, am, do I really have what it takes? Like, I know for sure, like in my heart and soul that like me and my team, like we are the real deal. And like, we can do a startup because we, because we've done it, in a really tough space and more importantly because we've done it with like really bad unit economics (laughs) so like we're basically like trying to run a marathon but we got like all these weights on but like I know we can run it because we've already run like half the way it's essentially kind of the analogy I'm making so to dive into that like our business like we make a blended like 12 percent margin on our sales so if I sell a thousand dollars worth of goods my take on that you know, my net revenue is about 120 dollars and maybe like that sounds good but it's really not um, you know most businesses when they like sell something they make you know again there are some exceptions to this like financial institutions and you know they make very small dollar very small percentages but very high volume but like think about like a restaurant like you sell dish, you're usually making like 50% margin. The clubs that we're working for, when they sell their alcohol, they're making a 95% margin, right? Taking a $20 bottle of alcohol, selling it for like $500. Makeup, cosmetics, right? Like 80, 90% margin, 70% margin. Why is that important? Well, you know, A, obviously like, you know, the more that you can keep from what you sell, the less you have to sell. But B, it really opens things up on the marketing side, Right. So one of our biggest challenges, which uh, prevents us from growing is that we don't have like a really easy marketing lever to pull again, because like when I sell, like everyone's trying to sell like a thousand dollars worth of stuff, right. Or like a million dollars worth of stuff, but how much you keep from that million is, is, is critical. Right. And affiliate marketing is a, is a very powerful tool. It's something we use, but. We're kind of handicapped because, again, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to share this ten percent I make. So it's like, hey, you help me sell this, you keep five percent, I keep five percent. Like five percent is just not a lot. But if we had like fifty percent margins, I could say, look, you sell this, you keep twenty five percent, right? Um, pick a business where you know the profit, like it's, 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 it's easy to monetize. It's, it's got a good profitability. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I got it. Uh, So there is another actually really interesting question from Sunil. Uh, Yeah. You mentioned that some institutional investors prefer not to invest because they consider your company a vice industry. Mm -hmm. Are there data sources or lists that provide information on what uh, types of things certain institutional investors will invest in?
1: No, not that I'm aware of. if anything like i'm trying to go out now and find like companies that do specifically invest in vice and there are you know some out there but now the, the the they'll never say like this is what we don't invest in but if you do your diligence on the fund it, they they usually do tell you high level this is what we invest in we're a fintech company we do series you know seed to a we do you know we do growth equity which typically means like b and like you know series b and beyond um you know we do crypto so you go to a LinkedIn, you go to a website or, you know, you find, you know, individuals and yeah, LinkedIn is definitely a very powerful tool here. Um, you can, you know, usually find out very quickly if your company is uh, relevant
0: or not. Right. Right. Just do the, do the, do, do. um, yeah. okay. So we're trying to keep it up uh, as far as possible as, uh, and as informative as possible. So we'll wrap it up here. Um, Thanks a lot Ian for sharing, There, I've heard a lot of super interesting information today and the story of DiscoTech is really interesting as well. Uh, so thanks a lot for sharing and thanks everyone for coming today. Um, just as a reminder, Founders Radio is hosted every week on Saturday at 10am, so next Saturday same time, new speaker. Uh, thanks Ian and uh, have a great weekend everyone. Yeah, you too. Check out the
1: app, especially if you guys party. Discotech, it's free, 4.9 <laughs> stars.
0: I'll leave the link here. I'll leave the link here.
1: All right. Sounds good. See you guys.
0: See you. See you. Thank you.
1: Bye.